bad thing happens, you can either let it destroy you, define you, or strengthen you. Choose wisely. Hi, this is Mark. I'm excited to announce that our next coaching certification group is starting soon and we're accepting applications right now. If you're interested in radically increasing your leadership and coaching skills, this program might be the perfect fit for you. The coaching certification program is extremely unique because the foundation of the system was originally used in the nationwide training and mentoring program that I developed for the Navy SEALs. If you want to master a coaching and leadership system that is powerful enough to help the SEALs dominate and win, no matter the challenges they face, then visit our website to learn more about getting certified as an Unbeatable Mind coach and leader. Just go to unbeatablemind.com forward slash coaching. Our unique coaching certification program is invaluable for leaders of all kinds. If you're a business owner, executive, a business coach, consultant, or manager, this program could give you the leverage you need to rapidly accelerate your business goals. Our certification program is also perfect if you're interested in starting a part-time or full-time coaching business. Many of our Unbeatable Mind coaches charge a minimum of $200 per hour, and they charge a lot more for team coaching, which is our specialty. Again, the next certification group is starting soon, and space is going to be limited. So visit our website to learn more today. Go to unbeatablemind.com forward slash coaching. hoo See you there. Divine out. Hey, folks. This is Mark Devine, host of the Unbeatable Mind podcast. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me today. Super stoked to have your attention, which I know is limited, so I won't waste your time. I don't think I ever have, and I never will. That's my uh, my vow to you. We're going to have really lively, interesting conversations, talk about what's really going on in the world, as well as how you can develop an unbeatable mind, become an unbeatable leader, and live an unbeatable life. Um, my guest today is Doug Bopes, author of Faith, Family, and Fitness, as well as From Felony to Fitness to Free and The Heart of Recovery. So uh, telegraphing a little bit about his storyline in his life. Uh, Doug's now helped hundreds of probably thousands of people improve their health and wellness through his programs. Doug was an addicted to opioids. Uh, He became sober through faith and fitness, but um, his rock bottom was the time he spent in jail. How many of you can claim that on your resume? Not me anyways. So anyways, I've uh, spoken to Doug before on his podcast. I found it to be him to be very inspiring. And um, I wanted him to share his story with us for um, all of our listeners who might have dealt with these issues of hitting bottom, being addicted to drugs or alcohol, or have children or, or friends that you know, and learn a path to recovery and then significance in helping others. So Doug, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you, brother. Mark, thank you so much for the incredible intro. And yeah, I always love chatting with you. You have an incredible story as well. And I uh, look forward to bringing some value to your audience. Yeah. Who, yeah. Well, let's do that. Anything goes. You know, we were talking <laughs> politics before, and I usually don't get into that, but sometimes it'd be fun because there's just so much misinformation and craziness going on. But we'll see if that comes up. Who knows? So tell us about like your origin story. Like what, what, what was going on in your childhood that that led to, you know, such a kind of a mess in your early life? Well, I mean, what comes to mind for me is I was trying to escape, right? So like you said, I was incarcerated on felony drug charges back in 2008. How and old as I, were you? I was 20 years, 21 years old at this 20. time. And as I look back in my childhood, I was trying to escape, you know, and my parents were divorced when I was five. I was bullied a lot in school. I suffered all kinds of abuse. I was as unathletic as they come in sports, although I loved to play sports and watch sports. I couldn't run, couldn't jump, had no balance. And so you can imagine where my self-esteem, my self-confidence is at this point. It's incredibly low. And and the first moment or opportunity I had to escape, I took, and that was when I was 14 and started smoking weed. And when when I took my first hit 
off a marijuana pipe, I felt like this monkey come off my back. I felt like all my fears, insecurities, anything that I had worried, had worried about up until this point was now gone. Whether it was where I was going to go in life, whether I was ever going to meet a girl, get married, find love. If I was ever going to be able to play sports, succeed, you know where I'm going with this. Right. And so what ended up happening was I had to continue to chase that feeling, continue to chase that numbing feeling. And one hit leads to two leads to three. Mm-hmm. And slowly but surely, I'm now smoking every day. I'm selling a little bit on the side to support my habit, messing up in school. I'm getting kicked out of my mom's house and sent to my dad's house. I'm changing schools by the time I'm 16, 17 years old. And my life was going down the drain really quick. Hmm. And I barely graduated high school because I had skipped so much to get high with my friends. All we would do was it was more of a lifestyle thing. It was like we would ride around with each other. And go on these things called high rides where we would ride around and smoke, smoke weed all day and listen to music and stuff like that. And that became my new norm. And I think in society, I think our environments create a false sense of normalcy based on who we surround ourselves with. Right. Mm -hmm. So for me, I was surrounding myself with, with, with nobody else, but those who smoked pot and did drugs. Whereas now, you know, today I might surround myself with, with people who are into different things. And so I'm, I barely graduate high school. I get out of high school. I'm, I'm still selling drugs, selling pot. I'm beginning to sell even more now where I'm actually making some money. Started experimenting with cocaine, which that didn't go over too well with me because I got to the point where I built up a significant cocaine habit where I was snorting like an eight ball of coke a day. <laughs> wow. and, and mind you, I had mental illness when I was growing up too, just from all the trauma I endured. I had depression and anxiety. So cocaine and anxiety go about as well together as trying to eat pizza and lose weight. It just don't, right. doesn't work. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what really got me was painkillers. And one day somebody offered me a five milligram Percocet, one of my friends, and I took it. And the same monkey that I felt come off my back when I was smoking weed for the first time came off my back yet again, because see what happens when we first start smoking pot, we don't go down we don't ever think long-term and like, you know, I'm going to end up eventually doing hard drugs. We're like, nah, we'll never do that. I'll never be that guy who puts a needle on my arm. I'll never be that guy who does Coke or right. Oxycontin. They're like, I'm just going to smoke weed. Well, if you're anything like me and you're doing it to numb pain or fit in or manage stress, anxiety, you have to continue to chase that numbing feeling because you can only get so high and you have to keep getting high to numb yourself out. Can I, can I ask a question? Yeah. You probably know this, but What's the biology behind that? Is, does it interfere with dopamine and neurotransmitters so that then you just have to get that release through the drug because your body's not producing it? Yeah, it, mess, it messes with like the, our pleasure sensations, right? The, neurochem, the neurochemistry and the neurotransmitters like, you know, dopamine. So we're trying to chase that feeling of that feeling good, right? Mm-hmm. And also, I think it can mess with like our serotonin production too, as far as like, you know, kind of like zoning us out, exenting us out a bit. Right. And then we do have, our body does have opioid receptors like naturally, right? right? But there's natural ways to get there and there's unnatural ways to get there. So a very unnatural way to get there would be to, you know, ingest painkillers. Mm-hmm. And I think for drugs, Mark, the fact that they were highly illegal, illegal like you got to remember this was I mean, when I started, I was 14. So that's 2001. And I was using from about 2001 to about 2008. Drugs, all drugs were very stigmatized back then. Marijuana, right. I mean, not just, you know, not just cocaine and heroin, but marijuana was illegal everywhere. So I would get almost a rush, more of a rush off chasing the drug, like finding a way to get it because I knew it was illegal than I would when I actually did it. Because when I actually did it, you feel this intense shame, guilt. You're like, why did I do that? My life's going down the shitter, all these mm-hmm. things. Interesting. Yeah. And that five milligram Percocet led me down the highway to hell, uh, turned into 10 milligrams a day, 20 milligrams a day, 40 mil- And you can see where I'm going with this to the wow. point where- I was snorting three, 400 milligrams a day, a day to support my own habit. I couldn't get out of bed without snorting 150, 160 milligrams. Half my left nostril was missing. I was spending a couple hundred hours a day to support my habit. And I was at this point, I'm like 19, 20 years old. And I started experimenting with mixing Coke and Oxy together. And I I would literally crush up these lines and be like, I wonder if I snort this, if anybody will remember me. Or I was, wow. I would hope and pray that I would snort and I just wouldn't wake up. So you, because, were, you, you were saying you were deliberately or you were contemplating killing yourself with drugs or you just had such apathy that you didn't care if you came out back out of it. It was more the apathy of it. It was more the, in the, in the lack of hope and the lack of 
faith that I just was like, well, I buried a few of my friends at this point, but I mean, I went to funerals when I was in my teenage years for people that I hung out with, not for family members, ironically. Right. right? That sounds very painful. Yeah. And my friends and I would often joke that what was the point of living if we couldn't party and do drugs anymore? We idolized people like Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morris, and the guy, the guys who died of drugs when they were like in their twenties. Better to burn out than to fade away. (laughs) Exactly. And, and for me back then, I just was like, I'm never going to accomplish anything. I had no, I had no self-worth, no self-esteem because when you're doing drugs, no one, no one likes being addicted to drugs. Anyone who says they do is full of shit. Mm -hmm. And you have this intense shame and guilt around it. And then you're already feeling that lack of self-worth because you're not achieving the things you want in your life. You see your friends going off to college, you see your friends getting jobs and your friends are starting to get engaged and married. And so you already have intense shame around that. And then you throw in the fact that you're an addict and you're doing all these drugs every single day. It exemplifies that, right? It it, it puts that like 10 X is that it it makes it so much more of an intense shame. And so everything kind of came to a head for me on Cinco de Mayo of 2008. I was riding around with a few of my friends to go pick up some Oxycontin and I had a busted headlight and a cop was running radar and I flashed my high beams at him to get him, prevent him from pulling me over, but it actually gave him a reason to pull me over. And I, when he started, I, when I looked in my rearview mirror, I saw his, obviously his lights flashing before me. My heart went to the pit of my stomach because I had a half a pound of pot and $2,000 in cash in the trunk of my car. And so, yeah, it's crazy. So the cop pulls me over. I'm so nervous. I'm like shaking. I'm nervous. I'm nauseous as you can imagine, because I was actually, you know, on my way to get my fix and the ultimate buzzkill happened. You know, it would be a buzzkill if like somehow like the guy was late, we didn't meet you, but I'm getting pulled over with drugs in my car. So it's like the ultimate buzzkill. And, and he pulls me over. One thing leads to the next. I'm out of the car. He searches it, finds everything, finds a half a pound of pot, $2,000 in cash, scale. And at that point, I thought my life was over. I really did. He arrests me, puts me in the back of his cop car, taken off to jail. I get charged the felony into the distribute marijuana and bailed out the next day by my dad. Who of course, it was like I walked between the uh, walk away with my tail or walking with my tail between my legs. I'm so embarrassed. I'm like, crap, I'm facing felony drug charges. Now I got to go to court for this. My life is never going to be the same. I'm going to not going to be able to vote, have a gun, like all these things that you take for granted mm-hmm. as a citizen of the United States. Right. So I go to, I go to court a few months later in September and the judge sentences me to five years, suspends everything, but 90 days gives me five years probation, 200 hours, community service, all kinds of fines and drug classes. But he looks at me, he says, Doug, you're young. At the time I was 20. He's like, if you complete everything without messing up, no misprobation appointments, you got to do your community service, uh, no failed drug tests, all that stuff. I'll take the felony conviction off of your record and give you a PBJ at the end of the five years of probation. What's and PBJ? That, it sounds PBJ like a is, PBJ. It is actually, and they serve it in jail, ironically. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, probation before judgment. Okay. So meaning it's it's just pretty much like a, a lesser conviction. Like right. there's guilty, not guilty. There's not process. This wasn't even juvie. This was, you weren't being tried as an adult, obviously. I was yeah. 20. Yeah. And interesting. And what so, a judge, man, he 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 probably saved your life. He did, and at the moment, I thought, yeah, now. yeah, oh well, yeah. In the moment, I I thought my life was over, right? Because mm-hmm. he, he was sentencing me to do ninety days in jail. I was like, dude, I was like, I can barely like walk up and down. I've, I've I was the guy who never wanted to fight. I was like, how am I gonna able? How am I gonna be able to survive in jail? Right. And um, and then what happened from that was he just looked at me and he's like, you're young. I'm going to give you a second chance. You're only 20 years old. He's like, this felony conviction is going to haunt you the rest of your life. He's like, but if I, he's like, I'm going to give you the second chance, but if I see you in my courtroom again, you're going to be sharing a cell with Bubba, <laughs> which I never thought. And I would ever last, obviously giving my athletic ability and the fact that I'm now throwing all these drugs on top of it, last in a cell with Bubba. And, and so when he gave me that, that deal, Mark, I never thought I'd be able to live to see my 25th birthday. So I had no confidence in it. I was like, God, ah, whatever, like, 2012 is supposed to happen. The world's going to end. I'm high now. I'm going to get high when I get out of court. Right. That's because the, the Mayan calendar was going to yeah, something like that. In 12, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I that. So I reported to jail about a week after my 21st birthday. Uh, I was crying, as you can imagine. And I detoxed cold turkey off the Oxycontin. Wow. Three weeks. How of, was that? That was pretty was, brutal. Huh? It was three weeks of hell. 
Jeez. It was it was like having like the most intense flu for three weeks. I mean, vomiting uncontrollably, uncontrollably, bowel movements left and right. You felt like you're trying to crawl out of your own skin, anxiety, depression, oh my God. pain, all that. Everything you can imagine going wrong in your body was happening in my body. Wow. Then you snap out of it. Now, now does you, the jail have sort of services to help you? Or are you just doing this in your jail cell and and they could give a shit? It was a little bit of both. I think, I mean, for the most part, it was like they knew I was in jail and they could, they could really give a shit that I was in jail. But I think also they would give me a, they would give me some stuff to help with the nausea, but that was, I mean, the nausea was nothing. What was really hard for me was the, the massive bouts of random anxiety and the feeling of trying to crawl out of my own skin and the, just the constant fear I was living in and the aches and pains, right? Because Mm -hmm. You can't die from opiate withdrawal. You can die from alcohol withdrawal. You can die from withdrawing from Xanax and other benzodiazepines like Klonopin, right? So they they really legally don't have to cater to you. Interesting. I didn't know that. That's yeah. And I was also smoking a bunch of cigarettes and still getting high off pot, you know, when I went into jail. So I had all that I was going through too. So you get through this detox and then you got to wake up and be like, wow, I'm in jail. What am right. I going through? Right. Right. So you know, you'll appreciate this. So my cellmate was playing Scrabble and he, I, I meet him at the Scrabble table. He's playing Scrabble. He's like, come on, sit down. He's like, what are you doing in here, man? And I was like, ah, I got busted with some pot. He's like, he, he just said, you don't look like the type that would be in here. Like he was just wondering like who I pissed off and that sort of thing. And so later on that day, he's like, you're going to start working out with me. And I was like, bull crap. Like hmm. I remember at that time I had never formally exercised Mm-hmm. Like, there's no way, man. And so later on that night, I see him exercising. Keep in mind, he looked like, you know, you and your prime looked like a David Goggins. He was a guy that was just extremely fit. Huh. Did he get fit bottom. in jail or was he? Yeah. Yeah. He was a guy who got, he had been in the, he had been in the prison system for 10 years. Wow. Just happened to it's be in true the true prison fit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he just happened to be in the county jail on a detainer because he was awaiting trial because he had violated his parole in the, in, in the state of Maryland. And I remember that night watching him exercise and he was doing like literally thousands of push-ups, hundreds of pull-ups, running all kinds of laps in the common area of the jail, climbing the, climbing the rails, doing uh, like rows on the steps, like crazy for hours. I was like, what the heck's wrong with this guy? And so after him nudging me and nudging me, finally, I just decided to give exercise a try. And he, I was, I got down to a push-up, couldn't do a push-up for my feet, could barely do one for my knees. And with his encouragement, training me in there every single day, I was able to do a set of 10 push-ups and run a mile by the time I left. And I lost some weight and I felt this new sense of confidence go off. I felt this light bulb go off inside of me that I never had in my life. I felt like I was going to make it, that I was going to beat addiction and that when I got out of jail, I was going to change my life. And I, I thought that only because I had to, I knew it's safe to say that this guy was your first mentor. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you, had, you had a fellow prisoner as your first mentor. I mean, that is incredible. When I think Mark, what's interesting so cool. is sometimes the, the most, the, the, the biggest here, like the biggest you know, heroes in our story, the biggest mentors are the people that no one will ever hear about like their That's name. Right. right. Yeah. Have you ever uh, like sent a letter to thank the guy or anything like that? Oh yeah. We, we, we would exchange letters back and forth he, his big thing for me when I was in jail was he would always tell me to quit being a bitch. Cause he, <laughs> <laughs> I would complain and I'd be like, Oh, I don't want to do it. Or I would blame my parents. Cause he, he would, he would ask me, we would have these deep conversations in our cell. Cause you can imagine like you have unlimited time in there. So we would have these conversations Nothing but and, I'd, time. and I'd be asking him questions about the, the prison system and what it was like being in, incarcerated, you know, for, for years and years. And he would ask me about my story and I would be sitting there blaming my parents for their divorce. I'd be blaming my friends for, you know, for people who bullied me, the girls who said no to me and also the, the abuse and everything else. And, and he's like, dude, quit being a bitch. And I would be like, what? And I just was like, why? And in jail, you don't want to be called a bitch, let alone where I came from. I grew up. You don't want to be called that either. And I said, what do you mean? He's like, you're blaming everybody else for your problems. He's like, did anybody put a gun to your head and force you to use drugs and your parents got divorced? I said, no. He's like, did anybody like make you sell drugs to feel better about yourself? I said, no. He's like, did anybody force you to eat these cheesesteaks when you were depressed? And I said, no. He's like, you got yourself here. He's like, there's plenty of people whose parents get divorced, who've suffered some sort of abuse, been bullied, 
been cut from teams and they're not in jail. He's like, right. so you got yourself here and it's on you to get yourself out of that mess. He's like, you can, you can either be a man or you can be a bitch. And, and these words may or may not resonate with everyone, but what's, in, what's important is the context and the, and the way it's, they're being used. He right. said, you can be a, you can be a man and take ownership of your choices, your responsibilities and everything right. else. And no, it's up to you to change. No, one's going to change for you. Right. And know that you got yourself here and it's your job to get out. He's like, or you can be a bitch and blame everybody else for your problems. Say, woe is me. Be all pessimistic, be all pessimistic and cry in the corner. He's like, most people right. will do that. You know, Doug, so, th- sorry to interrupt th- this one idea, this one principle that you just espoused is probably the most underrated in our culture today because everyone is playing victim and our government actually supports that you know Mm -hmm. like our government pays people to be victims and it doesn't work because they still point fingers at the government saying you're not doing enough and they point fingers at you and me saying you're right you're racist because you're white and it's built into the system or you're whatever because you're blankety blank you're rich or you're better off it's all bullshit People, it's like a dr- it's like a drug too because it's like you, a drug you know people are ultimately only accountable and responsible to themselves and responsible for the they create their own reality everyone creates their own reality yeah right. and you once and once you start pushing blame onto something else in your life it, it's like oh well what else can i blame who else can i blame it's, it becomes a habit right, right. so and if you start blaming the government for you know, your business suffering, you start blaming the government for your health or whatever. It's like, well, what else are you going to start blaming your problems on? Who else? It becomes a mm-hmm. habit because it's like the way you do one thing is the way you do everything, right? They, right. It's the old saying. And so he gave me a workout plan when I left. So I know, and uh, that I still have framed in my place today that I so I never forget where I came from. And I asked him, I was like, how can I repay you? And he's like, just pay it forward. Don't mess up. And there's some sayings on there. Like, you know, remember you're no longer a fat ass. Have to, you never have to be one again, eat smart. I'm out there, you know, with you. So you're going to have to work hard, that sort of thing. So the reason I bring this up is when I got out, it was like winter time. And when we would work out in jail, we would do like calisthenics in the morning. And then we would run in the evening. We would break up our days so that we would have something. To look, I would have something to look forward to. I was like, all right, I get up, I'll eat, we'll eat breakfast and then we'll do calisthenics. And then at night I had looked forward to doing this like run or it was a walk at first. Then I'd run a few laps. It became running a few laps and the, the few laps turned into me being able to run you know, a mile in the gym or a mile in jail. And so I remember writing him a letter and being like, it's too cold outside for me to run. Mm. And he said, quit being a bitch. He was like, <laughs> <Again>. <laughs> he wrote me back. He was like, get your ass to target and buy some sweatpants and get outside and run. Awesome. He's like, I build machines. And I said, Oh, I was like, fine. And it was what I needed. Cause I think, I think in these situations, what most people want, and I wanted that too, was to be is to be coddled, is to be like, you know, it's gonna be okay, Doug. Like you did nothing wrong, you know, right. it's everyone else's fault. That's what people because it feels good and it's easy and it for and it makes you not have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, Well, what was my part in this? Well, what could I have controlled in that situation that I didn't? How did I respond? Because that's the one thing is nobody likes to be held accountable because sometimes when you're held accountable, you have to check yourself and your ego. So, you know what? I made some mistakes or I could have worked harder. Yeah. I could have been more dedicated. It can and, be painful to your ego, right? If, and you have to yeah. suck it up and be like, okay, yeah. And that's but why, if someone else, yeah. if someone doesn't point it out to you, most people won't admit, you know, they're shirking responsibility. Yeah. And I had to get to the point, Mark, where I had to really look logically. I was like, okay, I played the victim card most of my life until I got into jail. And where did that get me? Well, I had 21 jobs by the time I was 21 years old. Hmm. I had a horrific uh, drug habit. I was selling copious amounts of pot. I had ruined many relationships. I lied, manipulated. You see where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. I said, so th- clearly that doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. And so let me try something else. Let me know that I have 24 hours in a day. Right. And if I can just be relentless in those 24 hours about the things I can control, my health, where I spend my time, who I engage with, how I talk to myself, how I treat other people. If I can be relentless about becoming a better version of myself in all those facets, it gives me a chance. No guarantee. It gives me a chance. I could wake right. up tomorrow and get hit by a bus. I could right. wake up tomorrow. You know, something could happen, unfortunately. But I knew that if I, my mindset was that I'm going to fail or if my mindset was, Doug, you have no shot. Because granted, even though I believed that I was going to make it, the odds were so stacked against me. I had every right not to. Right. Like up until that point, I had failed. And 95% of me didn't believe that I was actually going to make it just given my track record. But that 5%, I had to hone in on that 5%. And it was almost like the whole, you know, 
stoic approach, stoicism approach, right? Like with just Mm -hmm. believing that my life was going to be better a year from now, if I put in the work consistently on a daily basis. And that's really how my, my, that's how I shifted from the guy who was probably that 5% came from just seeing your progress over 90 days in jail, right? If it was any shorter, like if you're only in for 30 days or just two weeks in juvie or something like that, you wouldn't have had that benefit of seeing the, you know, seeing you go from one push or zero pushups to 10 and zero miles, you know, just being able to walk around the park to one mile run. And that, that gave you probably enough to say, you know what, if I just keep doing this, you know, incremental thing every day. Well, it's just small steps lead to big goals. Right. Right. And I think it was the structure in my day that I never had. I mean, even the simple thing of like having to make my bed in jail, mm-hmm. something big, right. It was like starting your day off with a win. Right. Mm-hmm. I know they do that obviously in the military as well. You got to make your bed and get up. And then I, you're forced to get up because the lights like flash on it. Like I forget what time, five or 6 a.m. And eat breakfast. And then if you don't eat, then you don't eat. You sound like they're like catering to you. Like, oh, we'll be back in an hour. Like you're in jail. It's either you take it or leave it. And then having that, the, the whole consistency in my day that I never had with, you know, making sure that I was, I had built in the, the exercise component was something I never had. And that, that boiled into other areas of my life because then it was like, what's next? Okay. I can do a set of 10 pushups that I never thought I could do. I can run a mile that I never thought I could do. How about we do 25 pushups? How about I run a 5k? Oh, I got my fitness under control. Let's change my nutrition. Let's, mm-hmm. I can improve that. And then you just, you build this equity in your confidence bank that allows you to navigate through life in such a way that you have the self-esteem and fortitude necessary to be able to believe that you can achieve things. And that's what I think fitness is the catalyst for, for everything, because it forces you to get comfortable being uncomfortable. It teaches you how to set and achieve goals. It changes your mindset because it it gives you that positivity and, and that outlook that's needed to say, okay, you gave it your best today. You improved yourself. You loved yourself enough to take care of your body today. Right now, you can go serve other people. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. You know, I've often taught, especially starting with Seal Fit and Beautiful Mind, that where the body leads, the mind follows. So start your day with physical training and commit to you know optimizing your body through you know nutrition, sleep, recovery, exercise, and movement. And those are non-negotiables because how can you show up? for others on your team and how can you you know uh, how can you go learn new things and how can you achieve you know any worthy goals if your body's broken down overweight you know that means your brain's going to be broken down overweight so to speak metaphorically and you're not going to be thinking clearly you're going to make poor decisions both cognitively and emotionally and your life's going to suck and so so many people just miss that Mm. and they think that they're operating at a high level, even if they're successful financially and whatnot, but they're, they're not because their bodies are their temple and their body and the mind is part of the body. It's infused into the body. Right. And so if your body's broken and out of shape and unhealthy, then guess what? Your, your whole life is at some level. And so you figure that out body first, then you can work on the mind and then you can start to work on the emotions and then you can start to work on the spiritual aspect. They kind of work in that order. A lot of people try to take it the other way around. Yeah. I mean, cause here's the thing you can be spiritually fit. You can be the guy who reads the Bible every day or practices gratitude, whatever, right. whatever you do, you can be emotionally fit. You could go to therapy. You could be okay at managing your emotions and you can be mentally fit and you can do all the things right. Setting and achieving goals in your business. Mm-hmm. But if you're not physically fit, the physical part will bring, you know, when you're not physically fit, it'll bring down those other areas of your it'll life. Bring them all down or it'll interrupt them completely through disease or through a breakdown. Right. Yeah. And the, on the adverse, you can, when you're physically fit, it elevates those other levels of fitness. When you're physically fit and you're in your, your mind and body and spirit are aligned when you're feeling good about yourself and your body's not achy and you're, you're achieving your goals with your fitness and you're on a plan and you're, your energy's up, you're going to feel so much better in other areas of your life. Your relationships are going to be better. You're going to improve the way you are at work. You're going to be able to increase the the amount of time you have your kids because you're going to be more efficient, that sort of thing. So fitness, it all starts with fitness. And I always tell people if they're looking to transform themselves Mm -hmm. from the inside out, start with moving the body and then focus on other areas of your life. I agree with that. So many people might agree with us and they kind of cognitively know that. 
they've read the books, <laughs> but then they still fail with their goal achievement when it comes to physical fitness and nutrition. How do you, how did you do it? And um, what do you recommend for success? I mean, I, for number one, I think, you know, you can read all the books that you want, but if you don't have a deep internal why into why, as to why you're doing it, mm-hmm. I think you'll fail. I know for me, my why was extremely strong because I was so scared of going back to jail and letting my cellmate down that I knew I had to stay on track because I knew what the fat dug and the dug that didn't exercise and didn't eat right. I knew what he felt like suicidal thoughts, heavily depressed, anxious, scared, using any kind of substance or excuse to check himself out of life. Right. And ended up in jail. So that was a why for me. That was my why. And I was like, you know what? I have to keep going mm-hmm. and I have to keep eating right. I have to keep exercising. So with that being said, getting a strong why, and then setting realistic goals, right. And just knowing that when you set a goal, make sure you're setting, you can set a big goal. You can set a goal to lose 50 pounds, but there's not one person that's ever lost and achieved losing 50 pounds. that hasn't had the action steps to lead up to that, that they don't do the, the right things on a daily basis. So if you're saying, I want to lose 50 pounds. Okay. Well, that's great. What do you need to do on a daily basis to get there? Cause like we said before, small steps lead up to their small wins lead up to big goals. Right. And then the thing I I always like to tell people is this, and this is a a mindset hack that I love is like choosing your suck, right? It's, Mm -hmm. you know, reaching a goal sucks. It takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of fortitude. It takes a lot of sacrifice. You're going to have to maybe change your taste buds up a little bit. You're going to have to carve out some more time in your day. You might have to spend Mm -hmm. some money on some new clothes. You might have to cut out some friends. All that sucks. But what also sucks is not achieving the goal and being depressed and being anxious and having regret and getting more sick and becoming more overweight and looking back and being like, man, I wish that three months ago, four months ago, I would have started when I wanted to and put in the hard work, put in the effort that'll then build strength and resilience for me in the future to achieve that goal. What you're saying is to identify not only the the gain from achieving the goal, the benefit, but also the pain from not achieving it and, and failing. And, and it's okay to visualize both and to actually lean into both, even on a daily basis and say, you know what? I choose the gain, not the pain today, or I'll choose the pain of discipline for that gain of losing the weight over the pain of not achieving that goal and staying overweight and depressed. Well, cause the thing is most people, they want to lose weight but they do the very thing that isn't going to get them there. They don't try. Right. Not even, not even trying. You automatically disqualify yourself, disqualify yourself from even like reaching that goal. And I think being smart about it is key, you know, and just not trying to go from zero to a hundred, just start small. Because if you're somebody who hasn't exercised in 15, 20 years and you haven't been able to stick to a program, don't try to all of a sudden be like, I'm going to go to the gym for five to six days a week. I'm going to work out two hours a day. I'm going to follow this plan and eat clean. I'm going to drink all this water. It's so unrealistic, right? That was the one thing that my cellmate taught mm-hmm. me. I remember asking him, I was like, how long is it going to take me to really get ingrained with healthy habits? How long is it going to take me to lose weight and get the body I want? And he's like, well, how long have you been damaging your body? I was like, for a long mm-hmm. time. He's like, well, it's going to take a long time for you to reinvent your body and to get healthy. Mm-hmm. And that really hit home with me because I was obviously the the guy who wanted instant gratification for my pain by doing drugs and abusing them and selling it and all that sort of thing. That was what I was used to, but I had never really thought about the whole notion of being patient and doing the necessary things, you know, on a daily basis that will lead up to achieving that goal. Right. So maybe for somebody who's listening to this, who is struggling to even start exercising, maybe it's just going for a 10 to 15 minute walk and committing to doing that three days a week or two days a week or whatever work, whatever works for you right now. And but then the key, what, the key is to have a process, right? Exactly. Not to, Cause not yeah. to just focus on the goal, have process. a goal, chunk the goal into achievable parts, but then develop a process that, and, and to remove friction. So that process becomes easy. You know, it becomes like a self-reinforcing upward spiral as opposed to, Oh, I got to do this every day. You know, I love, well, I think, uh, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, um, my friend James Clear wrote a book called Atomic Habits, where he talks a lot about, you know, removing friction and create the, creating the environment where a, a goal achievement becomes almost uh, um, a simple thing because right. you, know, you, you just do one small thing that leads to another small thing that leads to another small thing. And suddenly you've achieved your goal and you're like, oh, wow, there it is. 
Anyways. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Because... The process is more important than the goal itself or almost as important than the goal itself. 100% because during the process, is, it's going to be messy. You think about like making a, a pan of brownies, right? I'm just going to use this as an example because it's easy. The first time, you, if you've ever made brownies before, the process is going to be super messy, right? You're going to have like chocolate over your hands. You know, you might burn them a little bit. They might take come out, you know, like, like gooey or whatever the case may be. It's going to be super sloppy in the kitchen. It's going to be all over the place. But you learn like, okay, maybe I could have prepared more. Maybe I could have used three eggs instead of two eggs. Maybe I could have, you know, you see where, where I'm going with this. And you learn and adapt and you grow, right? And you build the strength, you gain wisdom to know how to do life better as you go through the process. But we're so focused on the end goal. We see the fact that, oh, if I work out this much, I'm going to lose 100 pounds or whatever it is. But that's only one part of the great things that happen from achieving that weight loss goal. There's so many other things that I believe trump that. Right. you're not going to have all this confidence in yourself. You're going to develop resilience. You're going to develop toughness. You're going to develop faith, mm-hmm. fortitude, self-esteem, the whole, and it's going to carry on because you're like, all right, like now I'm so used to my new norm now is I'm used to making sacrifices in my life to get what I want. As far as my goals, I'm used to now, you know, staying in on the weekends and, and choosing myself and honoring myself that you're going to start to do that in other areas of your life too, other than just your fitness, right. which is huge, which are life lessons you'll take with you for the rest of your life. And I right. think at the end of the day, you have to have a process. You have to build off of certain things because chances are when people go for walks, 20 minute walk, they're going to feel better afterwards. And they're going mm-hmm. to, people are naturally humans are going to want more of that good feeling. So what are they going to do? They're going to do more of it. And I think so many times people make the mistake of saying, okay, I'm just going to go start and I'm going to go from couch to 5k in two hours, instead of going from a couch to 5k in a month, Mm -hmm. two months, it's a process takes time. Right. And you're going to have as many or more failures or, you know, obstacles than you have successes and streamlined moments. And those are your most important learning moments. Yeah. I mean, you, you learn way more lessons through failures than I think you do in success. Right. right. I think because a lot of success comes from failure. A lot of times right. people aren't just like one shot successful. Like, no, some right. of the greatest businesses that have been developed, some of the greatest entrepreneurs failed miserably over and over and over again. Yeah. And because yeah. of those failures, they use, you know, like my podcast is called the adversity advantage. So I'll just say this, they use those adversities to their advantage and the, the process and everything else. And we're like, all right, well, what could I have done better? Right. What could, what could I have changed around? Who could I have implemented in my life? What kind of things could I have done differently? And that's what leads to success. It's right. not just, I'm going to go zero to a hundred and I got one shot at this. And if I don't make it, I'm going to give up. It's like, no, it's being resilient and knowing right. I'm not giving up Yeah, yeah no I matter agree. what. That's a, also a very stoic and kind of warrior principle. Don't fear the failure, embrace the failure. Because that's you have to. You know, that's where you're going to grow. If you avoid the failure, you stop growing, and then, and then you start fearing. You know the obstacle. You start fearing the, the experience of the failure and and the social stigma that you perceive will be foisted upon you. And all of that's bullshit. You know. So if you well, learn I, that, yeah. that failure truly is not an option, is what we said in the seals. It didn't mean that we weren't going to fail or couldn't fail. It meant that we we didn't care about failing. We knew that failure was an important component of mission success. We had to fail our way forward. And that feeling you get when you try something and you fail at it and you keep trying again and you get better at it is so euphoric. It's almost right. like doing drugs. That's Perfect cool. example for me recently, and this will make you and your audience laugh, is I hate the cold. hate it, right? <laughs> so a buddy of mine, you know, he's really into the cold water therapy and I was going out like I was telling you to do this workout with Gabby and, and with the Gabby and Laird in the pool. And I was like, I got to get ready for this. Like, I'm going to, I have to train. I'm going to get my butt kicked. Right. And so I got in the cold water and the cold, it was like 42 degrees. And I remember getting in the, t- the tub lasting, like I was shivering, like my, the, the, the pain from my nerves, from the shock to my system going into fight or flight. I was like screaming like a little child <laughs> and I got out like right away. I was like, yeah. oh my God. Like, but I was like, wow, this is hard. And I remember getting back in a week later and I was able to last like two minutes. And then I was able to get back in and I got back in a week later and went three minutes to the point where I did it for five minutes. And that feeling, Mark, mm-hmm. is irreplaceable. I was like, wow, I never thought I would be able to, to achieve sitting in a cold tub 
42 degrees up to my chest to the point where I looked like I had just been baked in sun. I was yeah. so red, right? <laughs> right. That's and awesome. To, and to now yeah. it's it's correlated into other areas of, of my life because it's changed the way I respond to stress, even my own workouts when I'm challenging myself with different modalities. Mm-hmm. And so that's the one thing I want to to uh, kind of emulate to your audiences. Like when you do fail, when you do, and when you get back up and you try again and you get better, you build that resilience and that confidence in yourself. And that's how you build confidence is mm-hmm. by continuing to fail and not fearing failure and doing it over and over again and continuing to get better and just right. knowing that you're improving yourself. Because I think lack of confidence comes from when we stop doing the things we know we should be doing. We stop taking chance on ourselves. We stop believing in ourselves. We stop trying and we lose faith. And without faith, we're, we're, we're nothing. We're just right. full of fear. Right. So you got to keep taking chances. Keep shaking. I agree with you. Man, we've, you've covered so many really, really important topics. The, the importance of, you know, setting realistic goals, having a process, developing faith and confidence through failure, the power of a mentor. Do you have a mentor now still or, or a number of them? Yeah, I've had a number of mentors through the years. I mean, at first, you know, obviously I was so used to having my cellmate that I cried right. when I left jail. I was like, what am I going to do without you? It was, it was literally like ironic to the point where I cried when I went into jail because I didn't want to go. And I cried when I left. I, leave. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't want to go. What am I going to do without you? Let me in. Man, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, it was very bizarre. That is strange. But I was like, well, what am I going to do? Because one of the problems with people when they get out of jail, very similarly, I think when people come home from the military is they don't know how to adjust to civilian life. Right. right? They're so used to being regimented and having – you know, everything kind of done for them in a way that it's being scheduled. Well, I think it's fascinating for you is because you only spent 90 days, but that 90 days transformed who you were. And and the way you were dealing with life before you went in the jail, you certainly didn't want to go back to. And by that's all you knew. Yeah. So you and were I, facing yeah. a blank slate. That's fascinating. And I've always, you know, as a, even when I became a trainer, you know, I became a trainer after I lost a bunch of weight when I got out of jail. I sought out mentors because I just saw with my cellmate, he catapulted that knowledge and wisdom for me on the power of having somebody walk before you that's done it. And for him, you know, he had walked before me in the fitness space as far as how to build, you know, a great body and get in shape and the fundamentals of that. And then I became a trainer. I sought out a mentor, uh, this guy, Todd Durkin in helping me build a training business because yeah, yeah. yeah, he he was somebody that, that did it well. And then as I've gone on to podcasting and writing books and speaking, I've sought out other people that are better than me because I think in life, you can't be the smartest person in the room. No. I think you always have to be around people that are better than you because that will elevate you as well, right? It's just, a, it's just the nature of the beast. Like I said, you know, early on, I said, your environment can create a false sense of normalcy based on what you're doing. If you're around a bunch of people in a bar every day at happy hour, it's going to feel normal to you. And that's why you hear a lot of people say, well, everyone else is doing it because they are doing it around you. Everyone else is doing it, but they all have the same problem you have. Right. Right. Whereas if you're in a room with people who are trying to better themselves, they're trying to give back to the community. They're positive. They live more of a faith-based life. They're trying to, you know, create podcasts or whatever it is. It's, you know, going in the positive direction. That'll be, you'll become that as well over time, not right away, but over time, your tribe will dictate your vibe. And, And I think, you really need to pay attention to who is in your corner right now, especially now there's so much negativity out there. It's easy to find. All you have to do is turn on the news and it's there. All you have to do is get on Facebook. It's there. All you have to do is Google election pandemic Corona and you'll find any kind of negativity you want. Yes. Yeah. And so being, yeah, exactly. And being so meticulous, like literally meticulous about where you spend your time and you can have mentors now, whether you're listening to a podcast or on YouTube or books that you don't have to pay a ton of money right now. You don't have to know them in person, right? Yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, there's so many people I'm sure like that have had their life changed by you and your podcasts and your books and many others Mm -hmm. just from turning on an app on their phone or on their computer or buying Mm -hmm. a book on Amazon that they're like, wow, like I needed that push to get started. Because keep in mind, any podcast, any book, just like we, we uh, alluded to at the beginning, didn't, won't 100% change your life, but it might give you that kickstart that's needed. Right. Like listening to my story, somebody listening, hopefully, maybe is going through an addiction or you have been incarcerated or f- trying to find yourself. It's like, wow, I can relate to Doug's story 
Right. Maybe it's going to give me an opportunity to try again, or they can, right. if they're an aspiring person that, you know, wants to go in the military or make it as a seal, they listen to you or some of your, you know, your guests that have had, you've had on that have been through that. They're like, wow, mm-hmm. like I can relate. Maybe I have a shot. Mm-hmm. Right. That's awesome. We got to wrap up soon here, but you know, a lot of people who are suffering from, you know, addiction have extreme, you know, low sense of worthiness or self-worth. And so crawling out of that and finding, you know, these incremental moments of confidence and a mentor who lo- you know, loves you and supports you is all really important. But what do you have to say about just self-compassion? You know, because there's probably a lot of times where you slipped and fell or you feel like you were sliding backwards or you're losing hope. And uh, what role did, you know, just having compassion for your own life and, you know, kind of balance out the, the forward drive? Yeah, I think self-compassion is key. And I think sometimes, you know, we talk about being a victim that gets confused with being a victim. I don't think being self-compassionate is the same as being a victim. No. Having self-compassion means you don't feel sorry for yourself. Having self-compassion means you don't beat yourself up. You just know, hey, it's okay. You made a mistake. We're going to try better tomorrow. Hey, you know, you might have messed up today, but tomorrow's a new day. Hey. Mm -hmm you know, you have a disease or you've had a tough life, it's okay, but just pick yourself back up and and try again tomorrow. And I think the dance between, there has to be a balance and a dance between self-compassion and Mm self-accountability, right? Because I think so many times people either go one or the other, they're either hyper accountable or they're so hard on themselves that they never get out of that rut. Or they're so self-compassionate that they're so, they they get used to being like, yo, it's okay. It's okay that they fall into that victim trap because they let that self-compassion just go with down into a deeper spiral. Right. So I think having that balance and, and just knowing that, okay, you, you don't, you're, you might have, you might suck right now. Like this might suck, but you're not going to suck the rest of your life. Right. Right. Or, you know, the, the easy way is this, is that so many people will say, well, I'm a fuck up. And it's like, no, you're not. You just fucked up. That's an easy way to put it for people right. to understand. Stop identifying it. with the screw-ups. Just it's something that happened. It's not you. Your failures don't just define you. It's how you respond right. to them that counts. Like every That's day true. you have an, a new opportunity to change. So anybody who's listening to this, who's like down and out, just know, just give it your best shot today. And I know it's not easy. I know it sucks. I know it's incredibly uncomfortable, but just know, A, it's okay. B, you know, join some sort of community, whether it's online, whether it's, you know, in person, whatever, that have people that are like supporting the direction you're going and then move your body as much as you can. It doesn't matter if it's a 10 to 15 minute walk you commit to every day, calisthenics. If you're a gym goer, you do that. And I think if you could just do, do those three things, just to start a acceptance and knowing that it's not your fault, so to speak, but it is on you to make the right decisions, having that balance of compassion and accountability mm-hmm. Two is having a great community of people that are going to help elevate you and, and pushing you further towards your recovery or towards your success. And then three is fitness. And that's, that's the name of the game for, for everything is moving your body. It all starts with the physical part of your training. Right. Hoo ya. All right, Doug, well said, uh, what a powerful message. Thanks for sharing it. Where can people learn more about you? And uh, like website, social media, stuff like that. Yeah. So podcast. I mean, the, the pod, yeah, the podcast is the adversity advantage, which is available where all our podcasts are all hosted on Spotify, iTunes, Castbox, that sort of thing. And then at Instagram at on Instagram at Doug Bobst, okay. and then www.dougbobst.com. That's got all my information. By the way, B O P S T. Sorry, B-O-P- I'm sorry. <laughs> B-O-P-S-T. Hey, well, at least you didn't call me Bobst. Most of my Bops. most of my life, people were like Bobst, Bobst. I'm like it's Bobst, 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 Boobst. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just a name, right? It's just a name. Uh, just a name. Okay, so at Doug Bobst. Yes. Adversity Doug advantage. Bo- the yep. Adversity advantage. Just search yep. for that on iTunes or wherever. Okay, good. Anything else? That's it, my friend. That's it. I appreciate you having me on and hopefully your audience gets a lot out of this. Yeah, no, it's definitely very, very valuable. And and I think we probably don't even have a clue how many people are suffering from drug addiction. I mean, maybe you do, but you know, it's just, it's just an epidemic in this country. And, and even, uh, you know, people who present well on the outside, a lot of those people are suffering addictions, you know, no small thing. It's just part of the human condition, whether it's opioids or alcohol or food, 
or sex or, you know, you yeah. say, so, you know, it, 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 it can really, really just crush your soul over time. And so fitness and faith and family, uh, you know, recovery programs, even 12 step, you know, we have a, an unbeatable mind coach, Ron Gellis, who's starting using unbeatable mind in a recovery program and wow. program. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, ways to get help. So if you're listening to this and someone you know, a family member or even yourself are struggling, then uh, maybe reach out to Doug and listen to some of his other guests at his podcast or reach out to me and we'll hook you up with uh, Ron Gellis at his foundation because it's really important to know that you're not alone and uh, there's a way out and life on the other side is so much better, right? Amen to that, man. Yeah. Doug, you're a living example of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, like the, and especially now, like the last thing is like with everything in the shutdown and the isolation. Right. It's getting worse. Mental health has become a huge problem. People's mental health suffering and like anxiety's up. People aren't sleeping as well. Everyone's stressed. And addiction's yeah. up. Suicide's up. Alcohol sales have skyrocketed. So I encourage people to just know you're not alone. And that, but in order to make a change, you have to, you have to make the change. No right. one's going no one to do, can it, do for it, you. it for you. Right. Thank <laughs> yeah. No one can do it for you. Be the change you want to see in the world. Mr. Gandhi said, and he was right. Yep. Amen to that, man. Amen. All right, Doug. I appreciate you, my friend. Uh, stay in touch and keep up the great work. Thanks, Mark. You too. All right. Who? Yeah. All right, folks. Uh, so check out Doug Bops, uh, Bops. Sorry. I did it myself. That's all good. <laughs> Adversity and advantage. <laughs> Sorry, Doug, you owe me one. And uh, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. Stay focused. And um, like I said, reach out if you need some help to either Doug or I. And um, I look forward to watching your progress as you become or stay unbeatable. I'll see you next time. Divine out. Ooh, yeah.